Jack, Levi. The Book Club from Hell. Hello everyone, this is Jack with The Book Club from Hell, a rogue artificial intelligence construct grown from the substrate of a CIA, PLA, GRU, New World Order social media psyop. Elliot Roger, the supreme gentleman, the virgin killer, a patron saint for the more deranged corners of the incel-verse, was a mass murderer. On May 23, 2014, in Isla Vista, California, he used three handguns, two knives, and one BMW coupe to kill seven people, including himself, and injure 14 more. What motivated this attack? If you're listening to Book Club from Hell, you likely already know the story. But, for the uninitiated, Mr. Roger had never had sex, and blamed just about everything imaginable for his predicament, particularly women. He was attending Santa Barbara City College, and was furious that the act of going to college hadn't landed him at least one girlfriend. When his plans for having sex, including driving around aimlessly in his car, sitting alone at cafes and talking to no one, and driving to Arizona to buy lottery tickets, fell through, he decided that the only option left for him was to enact a so-called Day of Retribution, where he'd enact violent revenge upon strangers in Isla Vista for a litany of perceived slights. We know something of this man's motivations because he wrote a manifesto of sorts called My Twisted World. Like any sensible people, Levi and I decided to read My Twisted World so that you don't have to. Enjoy. I went away and went on holiday and didn't want to be reading My Twisted World while I was on holiday. I did a speed run of this book in two days, including nights. And I had some vile dreams afterwards. <laughs> it's yeah, really so horrible stuff. You're, you're being serious when you say that, aren't you? Because <laughs> I also had dreams. Nightmare. Were they nightmares? They were They were not pleasant dreams, at least. They weren't nightmares <laughs> after reading this book. Yeah, they didn't persist and they've, they've, they've disappeared now. But so I spent two days spending most of my spare time reading through my twisted world and taking notes. Yeah. And <laughs> those two nights, I <laughs> had weird dreams. Yeah. It's really horrible. I, I, it's the, hmm. it's the, the deadly combination <laughs> of being r- really vile and really boring. So much of this is Juan Pesadas levels of boring. Yeah. I mean, it's a, he indicated that he kept, he seemed to have kept a diary. So it's largely the recount of a person's life, which, you know, m- most of the time your life is pretty boring. Like, what are you doing? Yeah. Just hanging out, maybe go to somebody's house, have dinner. Like, it's not that interesting. <laughs> so most of his book was just that. Yeah, I'd say 90% of the book is him recounting mundane events. And then maybe the last 10% is where he really comes out with his his I, much I actually, vaunted philosophy. He keeps talking about the the assembly of his philosophy. He eventually yeah. comes out and explains his philosophy more explicitly, and it's a bit of a letdown. It's basically, people shouldn't have sex if I can't have sex, and that's, <laughs> that, that's it. Yeah. But so... it is interesting, though, when he's just recounting what he did at various stages of his life. And this book this book is divided up into, say, ages zero to three, ages three to seven or whatever. Yeah. It is interesting looking at the things that he did choose to write down 
which things he found salient. And the, there are very definite themes, which is partly what made this so boring because it just feels like he's repeating himself. But the things that he seems to think are most salient will be he went to some dinner party or some social event, these mm. were the people there, and this was their social hierarchy. So it would even be as a nine-year-old, he would say, oh, I went to this kid's birthday party. This is what they did. This is how big their parents' house was. These were the other people there. These were the cool people. These people weren't cool, and I wanted to be like the cool people. It's either that, when he's older describing seeing couples and how much he hates them. Yeah. Then, then really just recollections of a crass materialism, either imagining how good it would be if he had tons and tons of money and then he would be irresistible to women or commenting on how much money other people have. Being high status. Those are the or, things that he found yeah. salient, and I think that's, act- that's quite revealing. Even amidst all the boredom, which boring things from his otherwise quite mundane life, besides how he ended his life, which things did he choose to recollect and write down? Yeah, the I guess one of the other interesting things about it was that he he's fixated on like a few things. You know, that'll be like obviously women and couples and cool people. So it's like he'll recall something that you could just say, oh, well, this was just a house party like any other house party. <laughs> um, there were yeah. people hanging out and drinking and stuff, but he'll fixate on, well, there was this one jock there who I really hated and all these women liked and why do they like him and not me and he's such a pig and the world is unfair and women are horrible because they like these pigs. And it was just like that was like every other page was here's a man I dislike and here's women I wish I could sleep with and they're sleeping with this man I dislike. And yeah. it, and then, yeah, so it was that. I, I mean, if you counted the number of times or the proportion of the pages that contained a reference like that, I think it would be just a ridiculously <laughs> high proportion. Um, yeah, it's a huge part of the book. Yeah, I mean, which obviously, like, given what he did <laughs> and given the online communities he participated in, in a way, it's of no surprise. So going into this book, I actually I actually didn't really know what to... I didn't have any strong preconceptions because I don't know very much about in, incels. Um, and, mm. and, like, I know that it stands for, or it's a, it's a shorthand way of saying involuntarily celibate. And I... In, I am going to assume that that includes both people who have never been uh, intimate with another person and also maybe people who have been but are just like, for whatever reason, now they they aren't or haven't been for a long time. And I find that that's, that's such an odd thing to me to, to form a community around <laughs> that, like, the... the the concept of like uh, I'm involuntarily celibate and therefore, and I'm going to look at like forums or chans or whatever about being involuntarily celibate and connect with other d- presumably dudes. Although I think there's a female version of it um, 
who are also involuntarily celibate. That's, that's very controversial within the incel community if fem cells exist. Fem cells, yeah. Well, I can only assume because I haven't researched it. So uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's just like, I just find it so bizarre that that is something that you would seek out um, solidarity or uh, whatever with other people about that part of your life. <laughs> it's like, wouldn't you prefer to like do something about, about it? <laughs> like, go and actually develop social skills and go and like go out and meet people and make friends and stuff. Um, but instead you kind of connect with other people <laughs> and lament over your shared uh, inability to be intimate with others. Yeah. It's very strange. So I didn't know a huge amount. Um, and also this happened in 2014, if I remember correctly. And that was our final year of university, if I remember correctly, um, undergraduate university. And it was a huge yeah, thing. Do you remember yeah. it? Do you remember when it happened? I vaguely remember it. I do. I did. I watched his videos because I'm a well-adjusted person. That <laughs> happened. So I, I think I had a bit more familiarity with Elliot. You Roger. watched his videos back in uh, when it happened? Shortly after, yeah. Yeah, because did, did they remove his channel? But people... See, I tried to watch one of his videos. I didn't... Like, in preparation for this, I couldn't watch the whole thing. Um, you can still find some of them on YouTube. The ones where he's... Yeah. There are some where he's, like, sitting in his car and filming people. And then there's another one where he's standing on the road and talking about his his magnificent... Like, yeah, Ralph I saw Loren that one shirt where he's got, his like, sunglasses and, and sunglasses. stuff like that. And he's like... Like, why don't you, why don't you like me? <laughs> um, I am magnificent. I am magnificent. <laughs> uh, yeah, he talks like an anime villain. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I, anyway, I, so you, has, you watched yeah, it back in the day. He has a very affected manner of speech. I wonder if he spoke like that in conversation or if that's only on camera. Yeah. Mm. I think maybe because I have, I have slightly more familiarity with the incel world than you because I've at various points over the years, dipped my toes into incel forums because it's it's like entering an alternate reality. It's it's sort yeah. of like a, a car accident. You, you don't want to look, but you can't look away. Yeah, I found that, that with this book, uh, that's the sensation I got. Like, it's a horrible... Like, I, I don't ever want to read it again, <laughs> obviously. Uh, oh, fuck no. And, uh, but, and I, and I really, I, I disliked reading it, but there was also a part of me was this, like, it was like a morbid curiosity <laughs> of like, well, yeah. where, where is this going? Um, and kind of, you know, <laughs> spoiler alert, <laughs> we all know where it went. Uh, and, uh, yeah. So, what was what what was your impression of? Maybe I should, like, I don't want to go on any incel forums. <laughs> but what? So, I'm not going to do that much research for this show. I'm not going to go on incel forums. <laughs> what was what was your uh, <laughs> what's your perspective <laughs> on incels? <laughs> I guess. Your, well, it's your such research? it's it's not a homogenous group, right? And I think back to what you were saying before about how you find it strange that people would form a community around this sort of thing. I guess that's that's a point where we differ. I see it as quite natural because yeah, the desire to, for intimacy 
is so fundamental for at least the, yeah. the vast majority of human beings. You'll have some people who truly, say, people with some sort of schizoid personality disorder who truly don't need the companionship of others. But the vast majority of people really do. They crave intimacy. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And at least the, the impression that I've got from looking on incel forums, which will be a subset of a broader group of people who don't have who haven't had sex for some arbitrarily defined period of time or don't have as much sex as they want to. Yeah. The overwhelming Im- impression that I got was that it's not so much about the act of sex, but more about intimacy. Because the obvious rejoinder to a lot of these people talking about, particularly when they get into the mm. grosser parts of, say, blaming women or saying that women are awful because they won't mm. give these people sex. Yeah. The rejoinder to that that would be obvious would be, well, see a prostitute if you want to have sex that badly and if you think it'll solve your problems. But many of them don't because I think that they're really after the emotional connection or the emotional intimacy that accompanies sex or accompanies their idealised version of sex. Yeah. Rather than the physical act by itself. But given, given how fundamental the desire for intimacy is, I... I think it's quite natural that people would... I think that's a really good point. Would, and would form communities around that. And to yeah. your point about, is, wouldn't it be better to be out doing something about it? Yeah. Yeah, I think ideally you would be trying to solve that problem. But maybe two things. One, some of them, and this is the quality of advice given is pretty, pretty variable. <laughs> they will offer each other advice on how to overcome their their state of inceldom i would say a lot of the advice is absolute (laughs) trash (laughs) what are they doing the the advice (laughs) the advice can encompass things like bone smashing which is just fucking stupid other wait so there's there's a sub there's an overlap between incels and bone smashers there's an incel between uh, there's an incel there's an overlap between incels and looks maxes and within looks maxing bone smashing is a a niche subculture but the yeah. link is there, and then of course, then you have you have memes about um, what they regard as unhelpful advice, like "I'll oh, just be confident, yeah. bro," or "Just have a shower and get a good haircut." Which, for someone who say, suppose the reason why they're unsuccessful with women, because at least in much of the incel world, it's, or I would say, the online incel world that I've been exposed to, it's overwhelmingly heterosexual men who want to have sex with women. Yeah. So when I, t- when I talk about this as shorthand, it's not that I'm ignoring the existence of gay incels or female incels. This is just, I think, the bulk of the community as, as straight guys looking for yeah. women. But it's almost like a support group, I guess. They'll, they'll, they'll have memes, the Just Be Confident mm. Bro meme, about what they regard as unhelpful advice. <laughs> they'll joke about that. I think as a way to feel better about what they regard as their predicament. And I think yes. that sort of that comes back to the intimacy point. That that's also a desire for communication. And, yeah, and to be understood. Because they might be otherwise very lonely. People. Well, I think that was a theme Not, of, of this book was uh Yeah. Roger's uh intense isolation. Prolonged and intense isolation. Yeah. Much of which I would say is his fault. Oh, yeah, it's, for sure. Reading through this book, he, he does not come across as 
a very sympathetic figure. And I'm much of this book is written with just the it's dripping with self pity. It's it's quite a pathetic book. And he's obviously trying to make you feel bad for him and trying to justify what he was at the time of writing going to do and what he has now done. Yeah. But e- even with that intense author's bias to put forward his own cause, he just comes across as such a cunt. He refuses the companionship of people who share interests with him because he's like, oh, they're not cool. They have nothing to offer me. And he, yeah. those are his words, not mine. You know, they have nothing to offer me yeah, like, if they're not cool people. But then if someone is, in inverted commas, cool, he won't talk to them or will just insult them because he's like, well, they're cool. They're an asshole. They're a jock. They're primitive, stupid. The sort of, yeah, mm. <laughs> the sort of person that women like because women are defective. And so he also, he also closes off any sort of emotional relationship with cool people, the people that he at least ostensibly wants the approval of. Uh, at least in the case of Elliot Roger, I would say his isolation is his fault because he was a shithead. With, with a lot of incels, my impression is that, generally speaking, they're pretty awkward young men. Mm. Which is and natural. <laughs> Most young yeah, dudes are which, awkward. Just, I mean, I was awkward as fuck when I was, <laughs> when I was like 18. Uh, but you grow out. I'd say it. I'm still very awkward. It's just I've found a group of people who <laughs> who like to who read either these tolerate sorts of that or reciprocate. Jack and, <laughs> and will to- tolerate and so reading okay. these horrible books. And apparently, we're we're flaming that fire by creating a discord around the fact that we read <laughs> this. We we have at least two, maybe two and a half people plus some lurkers on the discord. Um, <laughs> Brenton Heilick, shout out. Shout How out. was it pronounced? It Keon or something like that? Keon. Yeah, sure. Why not Keon? Keon. Yeah, they 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 post occasionally. Shout out to you too. Yeah, good on good on yours. Um, <clears throat> anyways, there we're being egged on. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, there, there's yeah. there's no. I forgot what point I was trying to make, but. No, I so I will concede. In, the point. I, I don't think, think that you make a, a malicious good point community. About community, uh, and that's such an important connection. I suppose, uh, yeah. I, for me, I need to like step outside of my own perspective and think like, okay, if if I were uh, involuntarily celibate for long enough, would I be inclined to? try to find other people like me who would underst- understand the position I'm in <laughs> and like the feelings I have and stuff. So I can say that. Yeah, I think you raise a good point. And like there's something different about Rogers. There was, it was so vile and hateful and like demented that it, 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 it was the first book out of all the ones that we've read that I found really disturbing <laughs> Mm. Yeah, I found Varg smile. That was unsettling. Quite that was unsettling. Yeah, I, I think this was. I found this one, one worse personally. <laughs> yeah, I think in part it was because of how I read it. How I had a brief period where I was just trying to finish this book so I mm-hmm. wouldn't have to read it on holiday and ruin my holiday. <laughs> that meant I, <laughs> I was spending a lot of time with Elliot, and so, you do sort you. You sort of enter his mind set 
to an extent. Yes. Because of because of the repetition of how I went to this social event, I'm I will now describe the hierarchy of men there, and now I will talk about how much I resent someone who's confident and popular mm. with women. Mm. And then when he starts describing it, how he wants to skin them or decapitate them. Yeah, in the last and things like that. So these nasty the sex really havers for having sex. Yeah. Part of it too, say versus Ted Kaczynski, who was also a a highly isolated, probably mentally ill individual who probably committed acts <laughs> of random violence. Yeah. It was so like I think part of it is Elliot Roger in his book comes across as such a dislikable person. Just incredibly elitist, unpleasant to others, has an unfoundedly extremely high opinion of his intellectual abilities. Yeah, it's... Uh, what is that term that is used sometimes when talking about... I think uh, in the DSM they he, use... Sca- he, uh, he comes sorry, across uh, delusional as poisonously grandeur. narcissistic. Delusional self-grandeur, or just like yeah. self, self-grandeur. Um, but his his, his yeah. narcissism comes across really with, with every line of this book, whereas Kaczynski... Narcissism, yeah. Kaczynski wasn't narcissistic, I don't think. Yeah, Kaczynski's I mean, authorial voice, at least, was, was much less narcissistic, and which I, made I it easier say to that, read. Like, Kaczynski's... I mean, I disagree with his interpretation of the world, but at least he's actually, like, it was intellectually challenging <laughs> to Yes, there was much greater intellectual content yeah. than, than My Twisted World. Okay, one book that... I loved when I was younger and it's kind of had a big impact on me was uh, Joseph Conrad's Heart of Darkness and mm-hmm. uh, and the, the film Apocalypse Now, like the modern adaptation of it. And the part where, is it Kurt, if I remember correctly, um, Captain Kurt, when he's dying, all he says is the horror, the horror. And mm-hmm. I, I, or I think there must be like, some part of the human experience where it, it, it crosses like some um, threshold. I don't know if it's, it's obviously not a bright line, but there's, you can just get into a part of the human experience where all, all I, when I read these things, I just think this is, this is that, <laughs> this is, this yeah. is one of those things. <laughs> this is one of those things that all you can think is the horror, the horror, like this, this, what this person did in the, in his as his final way to exit the world, but also um, sub- his subjective experience leading up to what he did was, was it must have been horrible. <laughs> and not necessarily because his life per se was horrible because, you know, along many metrics, you could say, well, like he had lots of, per- like he was going to college. He had a mum who loved him very much. Um, you know, maybe it wasn't super stable family, but like there's lots of divorced families and, you know, that's something that people deal with. Uh, so he was socially isolated and, uh, not, not being intimate with a partner, but the extremity, like his degree of suffering in response to the, uh, difficulties that he had were be, were as a result of his fixation on these things. Like in a way it's like, his suffering came about because of the way he interpreted the world and the way he reinforced that 
in his own mind. I don't know if that makes any sense. But reading this yeah, book exactly. and kind of got me to feel of- like, okay, he's suffering because of his own internal world. Yeah, and part of it is, I guess you can use his friend James as a counterpoint to that because, yeah. so Elliot had this guy called James that he was friends with at least up until shortly before his mass shooting when James cut ties with him. Yeah. And James too, I'm not sure what he's up to now, but was at the time a virgin as well and Roger would refer to him as sort of his his comrade in virginity and things like that. Yeah. But would repeatedly express surprise that James wasn't livid with women, with the world, with yeah, men who can have angry sex. And hateful. Yeah, he he kept describing his friend as weak because yeah. he wasn't furious at these things. Whereas I'd say his friend and, uh, he says just, there's this one part of it where he just had more says, emotional fortitude. He literally just says anger. Anger is strength. <laughs> so yeah, yeah. So James not being angry was a sign of weakness. Well, much of this book, and I think a large part of the reason why I f- I just reflexively dislike Elliot Roger so much having yeah, read it is that person. so much of the book comes across as as him looking for justifications which are oftentimes paper thin as to why he is so benighted why his life is so terrible why his actions are not merely acceptable but justified it, I, it just I, it comes across as really pathetic can it I, comes can across I, as someone who is allergic to taking any sense of responsibility for anything in his life. I'll I'll double yeah. double down on that. So I don't also I would not mind if we did not quote too much from this book <laughs> just because I really fucking dislike it. But for where Oh, I've got lots of quotes. I know you I've got I've got like 15 pages of quotes. <laughs> but I know I'm I'm not going to pull them out too too often. I'm going to keep my analysis fairly high level. You can do whatever you want. But just to double down on this point, like the entire book is essentially him narrating his life in such a way to justify his actions, justify his worldview, and presumably to as Jack said evoke pity or whatever in anybody who would read this and the final paragraph like kind of sums it up he said all i ever wanted was to love women and in turn be loved by them back their behavior towards me has only earned my hatred and rightfully so i am the true victim in all of this i am the good guy humanity struck at me first by condemning me to experience so much suffering I did not ask for this. I did not want this. I did not start this war. I was not the one who struck first, but I will finish it by striking back. I will punish everyone, and it will be beautiful. Finally, at long last, I can show the world my true worth. So he, like, the entire, it's, as Jack said, it's pathetic. The entire manifesto is just him trying to frame himself as the victim and his response to his life circumstances as a justified response. Yeah, and as a counterpoint to that, this is how the book starts. Humanity. All my suffering on this world has been at the hands of humanity, particularly women. It has made me realise just how brutal and twisted humanity is as a species. 
All I ever wanted was to fit in and live a happy life amongst humanity, but I was cast out and rejected, forced to endure an existence of loneliness and insignificance, all because the females of the human species were incapable of seeing the value in me. This is the story of how I, Elliot Roger, came to be. This is the story of my entire life. It is a dark story of sadness, anger and hatred. It is a story of a war against cruel injustice. In this magnificent story, I will disclose every single detail about my life, every single significant experience that I have pulled from my superior memory, as well as how those experiences have shaped my views of the world. This tragedy did not have to happen. I didn't want things to turn out this way, but humanity forced my hand, and this story will explain why. Yeah. This is fairly yeah, common. book ended. He... <laughs> You've just got the book. Yeah, it's... <laughs> I think also a reason why we might not end up quoting too much is that most of this book is him just repeating the same thing over and over again. This thing about how his life is a dark tale of anger and hatred and how he's been betrayed by the human race and how females are defective because they love brutes and they don't love magnificent ideal gentlemen, ultimate gentlemen, such as Mr. Roger. He just repeats himself over and over again. So... Most of the quotes I have are just variations on a theme. Yeah. So in response directly to his victim narrative that he tries to spin, I tried to, like, because I did feel sorry for him, but I tried to think through how do I integrate both my pity and my disgust and mm. and my repulsion <laughs> to this and the way that i think i have been able to integrate it is that if i could map different emotions to different points of that person throughout his life i can map that okay i would feel sorry for anybody who's being intensely bullied at school so he was really he was he was victim he was a victim at school um, under certain circumstances, um, even, even if he's a strange person or whatever, like, uh, you know, uh, to be isolated and, um, you know, teenage depression and all that, like he was, he was isolated, he was alienated, he was awkward, and then he was bullied. That sucks. And that is really b- bad. And I feel sorry for any, any kid going through that. Where the pity stops is t- somewhere in his, uh, he, he transitioned from like, okay, being isolated and depressed and socially awkward to being not just resentful, because I, I think it's understandable anybody who's in a situation like that to be somewhat resentful, you know, it's probably a normal emotion, but it's it's that it it transitioned into like hatred and like pure resentment and then uh, gradually into like violent fantasies and megalomania and fantasies about like if I were the dictator of the world, what would I do? And obviously, I can't map exactly where that line would be drawn. And obviously, it wouldn't be a straight like a bright line. It would be you can see roughly it probably happened when he was around seventeen to sort of twenty. It got worse and it went up and down. And somewhere in there, I would say like, okay, I've stopped feeling sorry for that person. And then certainly by the end of his life, like, no, he's just reprehensible. Um, But from the period from like 14 to 17, I would feel sorry for a kid. 
who's going who was going through some of the stuff that he went through. Sure. Yeah, I I to a large extent agree with that. My issue is he's such an unreliable narrator yeah. that when he's <laughs> when he's younger, say when he was describing being bullied, I felt bad for him. However, as the story progresses, and I'd like to get into this more, his sure. his position as an unreliable narrator. Oh yeah, we he, can do with that. Sure. He will he will describe situations as bullying where he is clearly at fault. So yes, there was a point. There's a point. He's the quite late in the book where. He he's standing on a bridge or something like that he's standing at on night. The yeah, and some it. some men and like young men and women, probably uni students, out partying, stand near him and they're talking and I don't think they're really paying any attention to him, and he starts trying to push the women off the ledge. The ledge. He said the ledge yeah. was ten feet. What is that like? Three, three, three yeah. That's a proper something? fall. Like you fought. Like yeah. I mean, the guy broke his fucking ankle. <laughs> when yeah. He so, off it. so what happens is he starts trying to push the women off and starts insulting them and things like that. And so the guys grab him. He he's unsuccessful. The guys of the group grab him and throw him off the ledge, and he gro- he breaks his ankle or something like that. And he describes not only that as bullying, but the fact that. When he limped home, no woman offered to have sex with him to make him feel better. He no, described that as bullying as well. Which he makes, also then it calls into question every other time he's talked about bullying. I think, well, in that situation where the guys threw off you the, threw you off the ledge, I'd say, yeah, you fucking deserved it. Like you, you were asking for it. Even just to make that's it not even, bullying. Even worse, he uh, like he was on the ledge by himself and it's out in public, and he's drunk. And this group of people come up to the ledge as well, for whatever, whatever reason, maybe there's a view, and they don't pay any attention to him. He, in his yeah. own recounting of it, they don't pay any attention to it. It's like, okay, well, yeah, that's what you do when you're out in public. You leave people the fuck alone. Uh, and if you're in your group, you talk like, <laughs> what the fuck? Like... Uh, yeah, that's a very normal thing to do. But he in he uh, he attributed the women in that group not paying attention to him as an insult. He sorry, not attributed. He he um he framed they're not paying attention to him. They're not looking at him as as an insult. Yeah, and so this is that every single narcissism. thing, every single thing that anybody else did was a slight. He turned. Absolutely everything, every social interaction, or even, and even the lack of social interaction, uh, as slights against him. Yeah, it's it's that quite childish mindset. Say when you're five, your starting assumption is that everything in the world happens with reference to you. Mm. And yeah. he doesn't seem to have grown out of that. Even though at this stage yeah. he was in his early twenties, like he should have. He was twenty two when he when he did it. Yeah. yeah. He should have he should have had the insight that especially when people don't know you, they don't factor your existence into their decision making. It's not that they're slighting you, it's just that you're not relevant to them. Yeah, what is that idea that like uh, uh <laughs> it's like to you you're you're the main character of your movie, but like you're an mm. extra in everybody else's movie? Right, and part of 
like social development is realizing that and part of like becoming an adult is having some self-awareness about your impact on others and he clearly did not ever he for whatever reason he never he never had that and mm. there's many instances in the book where he frames some interaction say with a family member he manages to you know turn something that he did wrong into like well it was their fault yeah and i should just be able to do this because i'm whatever and when people actually do help him because again it's this unreliable narrator thing how this entire thing is really being written to justify why he he I went and it. shot a bunch of strangers yeah he'll he'll describe situations where people actually do help him but he will just yeah. dismiss it so back to that situation that we or that that event that we described before how he tried to throw a bunch of women off some ledge and their friends instead grabbed him and threw him off the ledge he says the worst part of this whole ordeal was not getting beaten up oh no it was the fact that no one showed any concern there was only yeah. one group who helped me to the end of del playa but after that they abandoned me not one girl offered to help me as i stumbled home with a broken leg beaten and bloody if girls had been attracted to me they would have offered to walk me to my room and take care of me they would have even offered to sleep with me to make me feel better but no not one girl showed an ounce of concern for me they didn't care no one cared about me i was all alone so to me one he acknowledges actually that a group of people did help him yeah he was helped by strangers but within yeah, so like people, most people would consider that like within the line, reason people have been trying to help him at many points during this book he just always dismisses it because to his mind helping him really means a blonde tall thin woman and he repeatedly talks about how those are the ultimate women white a help, white woman help means that they will have sex with him he's obsessed with white women white blondes yeah yeah, yeah. um oh just, just so you know if any <laughs> if you haven't seen pictures of this guy he's uh he's uh half asian half european half uh english i think his dad's english and his mom's malaysian chinese malaysian or something yeah um yeah so and he has this like racial he has he, of course this motherfucker just like all the other motherfuckers we've read fucking have this race shit <laughs> jesus christ yeah he um he seemed to have this real insecurity thing about being part asian there was this there was this particular part of the book where he's talking about how he he gets drunk and goes out by himself one friday or saturday night or something and wanders into a house party uninvited and sees what he describes as a full Asian talking to a white woman. And yeah. he's so outraged because he's decided that the reason or one of the reasons why women won't just come up to him and suck his dick or something is because he's part Asian and because they hate Asians. And he felt, he felt so outraged seeing a full Asian talking not only to a woman but to a white woman. And so he just like kept bumping into this guy and trying to knock him over. Yeah. And, and then, like, he, I think he, he left the house party and yeah. then ran back in and started insulting this guy. Yeah, that's what he said. He said he, he ran back inside, started insulting him. It's like this uh, 
It's like, dude, maybe that's why no one sleeps with you. Then there was another section where he uh, he says, uh, this was where he, so he kind of, leading up to this page, I think he kind of kept his racism under wraps. Kind, like, you, you could kind of see it coming earlier in the book, but it didn't really yeah, like. Yeah, there, there were a lot of comments about black boys having that sex was kind with of, white women. They were kind of distasteful or whatever, but they weren't. And then I, in my notes, I just have like, where he goes full racist. <laughs> and it's a section in the book. Oh, was this, was this I, with Chance? Um, yes. Uh, so uh, they invited over their friend. So his housemates invited some a friend over. So he says, uh, my first week turned out to be very unpleasant in his new apartment at Santa Barbara, leaving horrific first impression of my new life in Santa Barbara. My two housemates were nice, but they kept inviting over their friend, one of their friends uh, named Chance. He was a black boy who came over all the time, and I hated his cocksure attitude. Inevitably, a vile incident occurred between me and him. I was eating a meal in the kitchen when he came over and started bragging to my housemates about his success with girls. I couldn't stand it, so I proceeded to ask him, ask them all if they were virgins. They all looked at me weirdly and said that they had lost their virginity long ago. I felt so inferior, as it reminded me of how much I have missed out in life. And then this black boy named Chance said that he lost his virginity when he was only 13. In addition, he said that the girl he lost his virginity to was a blonde white girl. I was so enraged that I almost splashed him with my orange juice. I indignantly told him that I did not believe him, and then I went to my room to cry. How could an inferior, ugly black boy be able to get a white girl and not me. I am beautiful and I am half white myself. I'm descended from British aristocracy. He is descended from slaves. I deserve it more. I tried not to believe his foul words, but they were already said and it was hard to erase them from my mind. If this is actually true, if this ugly black filth was able to have sex with a blonde white girl at the age of 13 while I've had to suffer virginity all my life, then this just proves how ridiculous the female gender is. They would give themselves to this filthy scum, but they reject me, the injustice. And that... Yep. yep. That is... I, I have that exact quote written down. That is... Uh, I mean... Uh, I mean... Oh. So... I, uh, I took note of it somewhere. It's about, it was about page 80 or something where it, it started ratcheting up. The first sort of 80 pages is 140 pages out. It's 140 A4 pages, our thing, or 138 or something. And the first 80 pages, it's like, it's just boring. A lot of detail is just being... Yeah, really boring. Just, you know, just being, you know, it's kind of pre pretty dull and he's unlikable but whatever and then around 80 or something page 80 it just like ratchets up <laughs> and yeah <laughs> goes off the fucking bridge i think it must map to when he was about nine like when he when he started going to college and he just gets more and more um vitriolic yeah poisonous in, in the way that he talks about everything yeah yeah he i might um my washing is going off i'm just gonna zip downstairs and change Yeah, so Jack, you were you wanted to talk about Elliot Roger being an unreliable narrator. Yeah, I've brought it up a few times already, yeah. I think. But I think it, to to try to work out what happened, it's important to read this book or to look back over this book with a view of the author's particular biases because I doubt he is re he's reporting things dispassionately. I'm I'm assuming and I'm effectively convinced that he's 
mis I'm not sure if he's intentionally misrepresenting things because I'm sure his subjectivity was one of I am persecuted, I'm hated, I'm lonely, the world owes me all of these things that it is not giving me, which it gives other people. So maybe it's not an intentional misrepresentation, but none, nonetheless, I'm convinced that he is really misrepresenting what, what happened to him. I suppose it's a, it's, a, it's, a, it's a skill. It's a skill that has to be actually practiced to try to have some objectivity or third-person view of yourself. Mm. And like most people, like our sub- subjectivity almost inherently makes us unreliable narrators. Yeah, uh, which is why yeah. things like you know, like a witness witness accounts are not necessarily always viewed as a good source of evidence in like criminal convictions. Like you need a lot of corroborating evidence. You can't just take people's words for things because our like memory even of events can be perturbed so so much um but the thing is it's not merely that he's subjective like he's plagued by the same subjectivity as every other human right (laughs) and an inability to to like take an objective view of the world but he has an agenda (laughs) with this book yeah with this manifesto it's not merely that he's recounting he's not recounting this isn't a recount. It's a, he has an agenda, which is he's trying to convince people that he, he was in the right. He did the right thing. Yeah. And he didn't have any other choice. And I think his, his relationship with his stepmom, Saumia, I think that's how it's pronounced. I'm not sure. Yeah. Exactly. We'll tell you, she's Moroccan, so yeah. we're probably going to butcher her name. Yeah. But- if we have any Moroccan listeners... Tell us how we're fucking the name up. Yeah. But apologies think, for that. But Saumia, we'll call her Saumia. Or, Saumia. Yeah. I think I think her case is quite illustrative of Roger's lack of reliability. So the way he portrays it is that he has a mother who cares for him, protects him. Towards the end of the book, he starts saying, well, she's a woman too. She can't truly understand me. But despite the fact that she's a woman, he portrays her sympathetically. Whereas Saumia, his dad's second partner, did they marry? I can't remember. Uh, he, didn't, he didn't report whether or not they got married, but they had a child and they lived together. Yeah, yeah. So they were effectively married. So... Um, he really hates her. He says that she always picks fights with him. She always demeans him, always belittles him. And initially I thought, okay, so yeah, I, I, I feel some sympathy for him because his parents got divorced and his father shacked up with a new woman who's not very nice. But as the book goes on, increasingly you realise that Saumia will buy him cool clothes that he demands and says that he needs in order to be popular. She takes him on holidays overseas, which he always resents because he talks about how much he hates her. When his father is away working or something, Saumia will be at home taking care of Elliot and Elliot's sister, Georgia, by herself. Like, not her biological children. She's taking care of her partner's children, presumably because she loves her partner Elliot's dad and feels some and presumably because she loves loves his children as well yeah like I think most in my experience 
step parents, especially with younger kids, view that responsibility very seriously. Yeah. Like they're not just and, any kids. <laughs> yeah. And then furthermore, the things I think the thing that particularly Roger regards as so truly reprehensible what Saumia does, or the example he keeps bringing up, is that she limited how much time he was allowed to play World of Warcraft for each day. Because yeah. at various periods in his life, he's retreated into World of Warcraft and played it continuously, 14 hours a day and things like that. And he said at mm. his mum's place, it was good because she wouldn't limit how much he could play. Whereas he specifically blames Saumia for limiting his, his raiding time. But again, that actually sounds like she has his best interests at heart. I, I don't think it's a sign of cruelty to say to a child, listen, you're not going to play WoW for 14 hours each day. You need to limit it. I, I, I would I think even that's, say... That's, that's good parenting. That... Out of the three parents, it seems as though Saumia was the one actually trying to set some boundaries. Yeah. And yeah. his other two parents, his dad was absent and his mum uh, capitulated to him. Yeah. All the time. So he basically had this situation where he could have a sulk and he would get what he wants off his mum or even his dad would just like capitulate as well is that the right word um, yeah I, I think capitulates and fair and and uh and then Saumia is the only one of the three that has some sense to like lay down some lay down some boundaries with it with a you know a kid who clearly has some um social and developmental issues and like some issues with video games addiction video game addiction so it's like he's framed you know, laying down boundaries with a kid is an expression of love. Yeah. Well, you're acting in their best interests. You're acting in their best interests whilst they're developing and they don't have this necessarily the insight and perception to set boundaries for themselves. And he resented that so much. He resented it so much, uh, you know, he, she was originally in his uh, plan for his day of rep- retribution. So, yeah, well even this reflects even more poorly on him. This this demonstrates yes. just how how much of a this, cunt this guy vile, was. He vile so human he was going was. to kill her on his day of retribution, but that was actually secondary to him yeah. killing his his little brother Jazz. So, Samia and because his dad had a child named better. Jazz and yeah. He noted Poor kid. Be- short, shortly before his day of retribution that Jazz was mm. very confident and socially mm. successful. Remember, I'm pretty sure this is a prepubescent boy he's talking about. Yeah, it's fucking and weird. So and gross, dude. here is the quote. <laughs> that yeah. was the day that I decided I would have to kill him on the day of retribution. As an aside, him meaning Jazz, his, his brother. I will not allow the boy to surpass me at everything, to live the life I've always wanted. It's not fair that he has the chance to have a pleasurable life while I've been denied it. It will be a hard thing to do, because I have really bonded with my little brother in the last year, and he respected and looked up to me. But I would have to do it. 
If I can't live a pleasurable life, then neither will he. I will not let him put my legacy to shame. In order to kill Jazz, I would have to kill Saumia too, but that will be easy. All I would need to do is think about all of the hurtful things she had said to me in the past as I plunge my knife into her neck. So, yeah. yes, he wants to kill Saumia for saying hurtful things to him, despite the fact that this woman, with the patience of a saint, has put up with what, what must have been a very difficult stepchild. She tried her best and actually set boundaries and tried to parent him. But he and, wants and to he, kill her. He, and he wants to kill her mostly so that he's able to kill his to kill little his brother, brother, who's he he's scared will have sex before Elliot. Yeah, so this is the depth of this so like, I, this, I have, uh, this young man's his derange. Well he yeah. was deranged. Ultimately but the reason why Thank he didn't God he kill... was fucking less competent than that he was such a useless cunt because he ended up not doing as much damage as he intended to do. Yeah, well, the reason why he didn't kill his his stepmom and half-brother was because I think his dad was meant to be away on a business trip on the day of retribution, but his yeah. dad changed plans and stayed at home, and Elliot said, oh, I'm worried that I'd hesitate in killing my dad. I don't know if I could. So he didn't go yeah, through with that. Maybe something about having a cold or something. Yeah. Yeah, but bunch of excuses for why he couldn't even fucking like he couldn't even commit a mass murdering properly. Like, what a fuckwit! <laughs> yeah, well, I get, wasn't it? He, I, he planned I, on. I don't think I've told on... a single joke this entire fucking episode. I think I just got one in. <laughs> <laughs> Fuck, man! I was yeah. Well, no, seriously, before the episode, to... Jack, I I was literally thinking like I don't know if I can tell jokes on this episode. I don't know if I'm going to be able to get a joke out. <laughs> oh, I'm, so I'm sure. Up. I'm sure I'll say something tasteless. <laughs> just just give me a yes. bit of time because he. His original plan for his day of retribution was, I think, to quietly kill his three housemates. And he killed all three of them, but not quietly. And he planned on luring... I think it was... He planned on luring attractive men back to his, his apartment so that he could torture them and kill them to punish them for having the sex that Elliot should have been having. That didn't happen. Then he planned on exacting his revenge upon women by going to the what he described as, I think, the hottest sorority. A sorority is like women's only live-in colleges. Yeah, that's that's right. Yeah. Um, okay, so going to that and just shooting everyone in there. What actually happened is he found the front door closed and knocked on it a few times and they were like, yeah, nah, not letting you in. And so he just left. So even on his day of retribution, he was he kind of just met the first hint of social resistance and crumbled, which was the story of his entire life. Yeah, so that, this that guy... That he was a real um, pushover. <laughs> this guy had a... I've been, <laughs> been reading this fucking book. But <laughs> so I've been getting into maths recently and I had a bad relationship with mathematics when I was younger. And I've been reading this book um, by this wonderful professor... Uh, from Stanford, Joanne Boll, and uh, I think that's how you pronounce her name. Um, and she talks about like the mathematics mindset and how like we need to reframe like people. Everybody can learn mathematics, and you know, but a lot of people have really bad relationships with mathematics and stuff. And the first thing that you've got to do if you're an adult and you want to get better at maths is you need to like change your mindset. And then she's like, read this other book, 
mindset or whatever it's called by Carol Dweck and like all the Silicon Valley fucking engineers and shit are like, yeah, mindset. Yeah. Have a growth mindset versus fixed mindset. Don't have a fucking fixed mindset. <laughs> uh, and so I've been thinking, yeah, growth mindset. Yeah. I can get better at anything if I work hard <laughs> and stuff. And uh, like I can get better at podcasting. Uh, I can get better at programming. Uh, Elliot Roger did not have a fucking growth mindset. <laughs> uh, he had, he had uh, like the exact, it's not even that he had a fixed mindset. He had like uh, two things that I noticed. One, just unbelievably timid and fragile. So he'd meet the slightest bit of resistance. And start crying. Or dif- difficulty to, so doing anything, whether it's, getting fit or he talks about karate he quit like everything that he tried he Mm. quit skateboarding skateboarding he quit and he quit because he said well i can't become a professional it's like Mm -hmm. well that like most people who skateboard don't become professionals that's not why they're skateboarding they're skateboarding because they fucking enjoy it and not only that if i can jump in it was he'd quit really quickly because he was like because I think so for a quickly. while he was like, oh, I'll, I'll write screenplays and become a multimillionaire and that's how I think he I'll quit get women to have sex with me. But then, then he says, oh, well, I noticed that most screenwriters only get successful when they're in their 40s and that, that takes far too long. I can't do that. And it's like, well, yeah, I mean, it's a craft and you have to get good at it. Like he, he just quit things really quickly because he thought, oh, well, I'm not immediately the best in the world at this at skateboarding when I'm at nine. So... It's not worth it. There's that. But then the other complementary part of uh, his mindset that is really the most, the more damaging part, like that part of his mindset would just make him, what's what's a way that I can put this without being myself misogynistic? Uh, <laughs> pathetic, <laughs> pathetic and weak. There's other words that you can use to describe people like that. But Beat I'm not going to use them in, in... Yeah, there we go. <laughs> um, yes, other words. And uh, and that would... It's one thing to be a, a, a bit of a pathetic wimp. You can, you know, work on that, I suppose. But it was. it's also coupled with uh, a delusional entitlement, which is... Yeah. Uh, um, this he has a sense of the world owes him things, <laughs> and when he is not given those things, it is an injustice. And so it's this kind of trinity of passivity. So life just happens to me, and I'm a victim, and I'm not responsible for any of the things that happen to me. And whenever I act badly, it's just as a response to these things happening to me. A corollary of that passivity is that, well, if other people's lives are good, that's because the world is just treating them better. Mm. And that, so the, 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 the sort of trinity is, is the passivity, the entitlement, and the pathetic timidity. This cocktail of just like these like aspects of his perception and attitude and personality that they all like amplified one another yeah yeah there was definitely a positive feedback loop going on because your point about the passivity is really important because he seems to think that 
he shouldn't have to do anything either. That say yeah. women women should just approach him and basically yeah. proposition him. Say you want to come back to mine because yeah. he has a BMW or because he's wearing designer Gucci clothes or because he has Gucci sunglasses or because he dyed his hair blonde. Like he thinks what uh, that it's kind of two aspects of the same thought, which is if I'm just sitting in a park, a woman should come up to me and introduce herself to me and then we can date and we have sex and stuff. And then the, the, the implication there is that, well, women are just going up to other dudes. He must think that like women just go up to random dudes and what, like what the fuck this, this guy just doesn't have any, well, obviously didn't have any understanding of, uh, human social dynamics. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Cause well, that's the thing. It's, you can argue about how fair it is or how unfair it is. That's not fucking fair. Broad, but that's not the speaking, point. Broadly <laughs> speaking, men are expected to make the first move. But look, if you, those, that's just how it works. To an extent, that's how it fucking works. You've just got to deal with that. Uh, and literally, the only dudes who don't have to do the approach, like, uh, are like outliers, like you know, like famous people or whatever. Um, mm like sports stars and stuff in certain social contexts. Um, but if you're going to use those sorts of people as your yardstick for the way that you expect women to interact with you when you're just a 22-year-old dude at college, uh, I guess this is probably related to his delusional self-grandeur. <laughs> like he thinks that he should be treated like one of these dudes who have accomplished great feats <laughs> like a professional athlete, uh, like an NFL player probably does have women randomly approaching him or an NBA player or like, you know, Johnny Depp or whatever, probably do have women just will just approach them. But that's such a vanishingly small minority of men. And the reason why women approach them is because they're, they're, they're outliers, they're freaks. They're like, they're yeah. interesting people. Um, and so, but he does think of himself as a god. <laughs> he thinks, yes, I am a god. I am amazing. I am, I am beautiful. Why aren't women approaching me as if I was fucking Johnny Depp? <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Well, I've got this quote here. He says, I am more than human. I am superior to them all. Ugh. I am Elliot Roger. Magnificent, glorious, supreme, eminent, divine. Eminent. I'm the closest thing there is to a living god. Now, what, what do you think that he's just writing that? Like, is, is he aware that... Do you think he was sincere when he was saying that? Or do you think that he's, he, like, knows that that's overcompensating? Or, like, what... Because... Hmm. I think it can probably be... He must have known that things at that's once. not true. Yeah. It'd be probably several things at once. I think a lot of it is just weapons-grade copium. Weapons grade copium, <laughs> just intense cope. But at the same time, is that, that I, uh, wait? Where did I see that? I saw that recently. That's like a meme. <laughs> I, I, I can't claim that for myself. No, that's so funny. I I saw that recently. I saw uh, I saw it on YouTube somewhere. I was like, "What the fuck is copium?" That's so good. That's such a good call. 
But it's a lot of it's cope. But then also because the guy, the guy obviously was deranged. He went out and I think shot six strangers dead. Tried running over and people, run stuff over like that. A bunch of people injured a bunch of people. Yeah, I mean, this guy's got some fucking dead. problems. So yeah, he he probably does have. He obviously has this real persecution complex. He has this strange superposition of an incredibly high opinion of himself. Yeah. As well as intense problems with low self-esteem. But hmm, I, I think I think to an extent he did believe this because throughout the book he talks about how I think he did believe it. Yeah. How. He he is the the supreme gentleman. He's he's a wonderful person and deserves all of these women and sex and things like that because he's so wonderful. And it's the fault of women that they're they're attracted to the wrong type of men. Yeah. And I uh, I've got a quote here. I concluded that women are flawed. There is something mentally wrong with the way their brains are wired, as if they had haven't evolved from animal like thinking. They are incapable of reasoning or thinking rationally. They are like animals, completely controlled by their primal, depraved emotions and impulses. That is why they are attracted to barbaric, wild, beast-like men. They are beasts themselves. Beasts should not be able to have any rights in a civilised society. So, I mean, as, as an aside, he complains that women are totally motivated by their animal-like desires for sex. After while he was planning a mass shooting because he wasn't getting enough sex, I'm not sure he sees the irony in that accusation. But yeah, <laughs> he yeah. Back to what we were saying before about does he believe these things? I think actually because it's been such a consistent theme through the book, I think he probably to a large extent does yeah, believe think, that he is right. deserving of all of these things. That. He's so much better than everyone else, and it's everyone else's fault that they don't value a reclusive, socially awkward World of Warcraft addict over what he describes as beast-like men who are probably in reality just, just confident dudes. dudes. Not even yeah. confident, just... Okay, so this, is, this is a slight a tangent, but <laughs> I've noticed a lot, of the, a lot of the time when you have... A certain type of guy just repeating this meme. It's, oh, why do girls only go for bad guys or for assholes? You know, I'm a nice guy and they hate Where it. Where did you see this? <laughs> oh, on the incel forums. Oh, it's, it's even present outside of incel forums. This, this meme that women oh, only nice like assholes. Last. And the reason why you're not successful with women is because you're too nice. Mm. What, I've, <laughs> what I reckon and what I've observed is the people saying, oh, I'm too nice. That's my problem. What they confuse mm. niceness for is being a pushover, and what they con- what they confuse being yeah. an ass for being an asshole for is being interesting. What or they confident. I think yeah. really saying is not that women like assholes, but women like interesting people, and that pushovers people who are just going to agree with you on everything are broadly speaking really boring, and that's their conception of niceness. Yeah, and I, think, I, I think also the niceness is like it's not genuine niceness. Like it's a it's um it's niceness with an agenda. But it's like not- this like you're you're not actually nice if you're if you're being a pushover because you wanna like um get something out of the other person. You're not being nice. And I think people can actually like maybe they can't articulate it, but I think like people pick up on that. <laughs> and still yeah, fakeness. Yeah. Even if suppose 
they were able to completely mask the fakeness. Still, their idea of niceness is just agreeing with everything a woman says. Which isn't nice. Which isn't nice, and it's fucking boring. I think that's, that's probably one of the main components, is that people who insist that they're so nice and women should value that, oftentimes they're just really dull, and broadly speaking, people don't like spending time with dull people. With dull people. Yeah, it's pretty obvious. I mean, it's almost like tautological to say that people don't like spending time with dull people. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, like, and yeah. basically turning <laughs> turning being an interesting person into saying, oh, well, they're just all assholes and women are defective because they only like assholes is just pure cope. I think the other th- thing that he doesn't realise about himself is he thinks that... I don't know, I'm speaking in the present tense. I know the dude's been dead for eight years, but sort of reading this as if he, I, as if he's alive because it's written in the present. It's sort of written the last... He's not very disciplined with his tenses. He keeps changing no. them. But yeah, anyway. No. Yeah. So yes, anyways, you know, you understand what I'm saying. Yeah. So he, uh, he, he has this pretense that he is able to hide his uh, contempt or his frustration or his anger from people. And he even says at one point, like, oh, yeah, I'm a good liar. And it's like, uh, I don't think you understand how, like, how sensitive people are to social cues and to other people's emotions. Mm. Like, people mm. really, people can pick up on very subtle cues about emotional states, and people can tell, I, like, you can tell when somebody doesn't like you. <laughs> yeah, if yeah, it's oftentimes person. blindingly obvious. It's really, and I don't think he realized that he was probably walking around the fucking world. Basically, everybody picked up as soon as they met this guy. This guy doesn't fucking like me. This guy yeah. is not a nice person to be around. I bet you. Well, I I hate me. Like, oh well, I'll just never, I'll never like, I'll just never talk to that person again. I just avoid. But them. you can pick it up. Yeah, you avoid them. Uh, you pick it up straight away, and. And it's like, well, yeah, because we're highly evolved, <laughs> highly social creatures. We can detect these things. And essentially, all of those people were reading him perfectly fucking right. They were detecting yeah, yeah. how, they, how contemptuous they he was. He, he was the defective one. They weren't defective. Yeah. They were reading, hey, this guy... Uh, is 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 not a good is not a good good person to be around. Yeah, exactly. But he thought he was putting one over on the world. Yeah. And it was back to what we were saying earlier. How he regarded either people who shared his interests, of say video games and stuff like that, mm. as being beneath him and unworthy. Ugh. Of yeah. his attention. And people will pick up on that in a second. In a second, yeah. And that sort of dismissiveness, it, it feels really bad. I think everyone's had the experience of being dismissed. And it feels terrible. And oh, it's horrible, yeah. Yeah, and so, so pe- people don't want that sort of energy in their lives. So they're not going to associate him, um, themselves with him. And then with the people that he regarded as cool and worthwhile all at least in my twisted world he just he delivers a litany of reasons as to why he resents them and hates them and they're gonna pick up on that too 
Especially Absolutely. as he gets older and he just starts insulting them. So, like, no, no fucking wonder people didn't want to spend time with him. And despite I'm that, even surprised he, that he that did James have friends. He did have people who would spend time with him, but invariably they would end up leaving him behind because all he would often do is insult, like, say, be sullen and quiet or insult them or would some of them tell them about his philosophy, which is basically... And his fantasies. Women, women shouldn't be allowed to choose whom they have sex, who they have sex with. And then I think in the end it's like, oh, women should be kept in underground labs and yeah. artific- artificially inseminated for the purposes of reproduction, but otherwise kept entirely separate from society. And it's like, yeah, if people yeah. tell you that most of the time, you're not going to spend much time with them. Yeah. Yeah, there was also this one dude, James, that he was friends with for the longest, who eventually yeah, stopped by him for a while. And he said that he would, they would share fantasies, like tell each other their fantasies about, you know, things like, oh, if I were dictator, what would I do to society? And presumably, like, presumably pretty dark. So he had this one person, and he, even in his own recounting, and again, not a reliable narrator very unreliable narrator, but even in Roger's own recounting of that relationship, his fantasies, what he communicated to his friend James, even that was too much to James for James, this guy who's known for like 20 years or whatever, or 15 years. And even he was like, all right, dude, like you need to stop talking to me about this. So obviously he mm. was saying things to this guy who had been putting up with this shit to the point where he was saying some crazy shit. This is also, this is a broader point of how, Quite a few people seem to have made a pretty big effort with Roger. They really tried to tried to interact with Elliot Roger socially. How he had a few friends, say James, I think one of them was called oh, was it Addison or something like that? Yeah, Addison. How yeah. He would actually he would go out with these people. They'd invite him out socially and walk around, but things would happen like say they would be in a cafe or a restaurant or something and a group of a group of young men with young women would walk in and James, I think there was a section where Elliot Roger says, oh, James, I, I could tell James started trying to distract me because he knew how angry I would get at seeing like This kid these, was a fucking loose cannon, man. These people. And then, you know, he, he would try to take me outside away from these people because he was weak or something. And it's like, no, you've got, this guy's actually your friend. Like he's acting like- in your best interest. Because he knows that you're going to fucking fly off the handle if you see a guy that you call, I don't know, an animal jock, a bonehead, where in reality it's probably just a normal guy. Because he's he's, he's going on a date with his fucking girlfriend. Yeah, yeah. Um, Like, yeah. And so there's these characters that he paints as like, uh, he calls them treacherous and and all these sorts of things. And Mm. it's like these people... As these Jeff are saying, actually just putting these are so actual much friends. effort. Yeah, but like, they're actual friends. In that, I doubt it was pleasant going out with this guy. Fuck like, no, I it wouldn't want to go. I wouldn't want to go out socially with someone where I would have to, all of the time, be on guard in case like an attractive couple comes into no, his this vicinity guy in case he flies so off the fucking energy. handle because someone has a girlfriend and he doesn't, like a five-year-old. You know how like you go out with some people. And, you know, it's different with everybody, but, you, you, you know, like, uh, you know, they just take, you just feel like drained. 
afterwards. Yeah, it's sort of like how... This guy would have been doing that 100% of the time. Yeah, exactly. And these people still for years on end, still, even though they might have taken breaks from... Because it would have been fucking... Exhausting. De-energizing. Yeah, exhausting. Even then, they still would try and spend time with this fucking guy. Yeah, and that's why I got... I lost... I mean, I wouldn't say I was inclined or predisposed towards sympathy going into this book, but whatever vestige of, I wouldn't call it goodwill, but at least some willingness to hear him out existed when I started was just completely gone by the end of it because he talks about how everyone has abandoned him. He's so alone. Everyone cruelly ignores him. But you read between the lines, like... He, has, he had so many people in his life who were making a real effort and it must have been hard. Like his, Dude, this his, guy jumped birth, from like, his, jumped his biological like parents both tried. In there, you know, no one yeah. gets everything right. Being a parent's hard, but I think both of them seem to be meaningfully trying to help him out. Saumia, the saint, his stepmom, tried really hard. He had, he had a group of friends who, as you said, might have drifted in and out, but also like had their own lives to take care of, who kept making an effort with this guy who mustn't have been easy to spend time with. He actually had a lot of people really trying. Even, under, even when you're telling me what happened, it sounds like you were a fucking cunt in the situation. Yeah, and his solutions to... So he kind of makes up problems, or... I wouldn't say entirely makes up. So plenty of people have problems with loneliness. Yeah. It's probably always been a problem, but I do think the way that our societies, at least in industrialised Western countries, are set up, yeah. are, are real, like, are just the perfect incubators for profound loneliness. And yeah, the he, responsibility was he was struggling is, with is on you to create your own connections with other people whereas like maybe historically living in small communities mm. you, it was more kind of embedded in our social structures yeah exactly like well, it's free the agriculture but now these days we have a very like uh a lot of freedom and a lot of material wealth and stuff but it's not embedded in our social structure that you necessarily will have a social network by default well, it's, you have it's to the, do that yourself yeah exactly it's the corollary to individualism how being an individual or individualism means you get all of these freedoms you don't have these obligations to other people and that carries with it a lot of really good things but But then the bad other people don't have obligations to you then (laughs) because being part of a community means you have obligations to others and they have obligations to you yeah and that i think that does eat into individualism into If you have, say, freedom as your highest goal, which at, at least rhetorically seems to be one of the great goals of the societies that we live in. It's an innovation, that, that philosophically. Does, that does undermine community. And but it's got its issues. Yeah. Well, it's not, no, no way of life is perfect. So I no. think individualism has, individualism has plenty of aspects that I do like, but it does make loneliness n- yeah. not even possible, but likely. Common. So I've had parts of Common my life where I've felt extremely lonely, and I have, I've say, I would say, happy family. Maybe, I have yeah. friends that I really like, 
I feel like almost everyone has dealt with real loneliness at some point in their lives. Yeah. But what this guy did is he came up, he created this worldview that his loneliness was because the world was against him. And then his solutions were really fucking dumb. It comes back again to that passivity you mentioned where... Yeah, the lottery One is of his solutions example. was that he decided that if you are very wealthy, women will just immediately have sex with you. Yeah. So he said, okay, my, my one path to being able to lose my virginity is getting really wealthy. And so... Yeah. He briefly tried a few things, like say, oh, I will become an incredibly popular screenwriter, but, oh, that takes too long, I can't do it, it's too much effort. I could become a professional skateboarder, but, oh, I'm, I'm unable to do that. It's not, it's not worth skateboarding anymore. So what he eventually settled on was the lottery. He started buying fucking lotto tickets continuously to the point where he looked at, I think it was, I forget the name of it. There was some lottery in Arizona and he was living in California that had a bigger payout than the ones present in California. He so Arizona. he kept driving to the state next door. I don't know how That's long that would take to drive, drive there because I don't really have a sense of American, like the distance between California and Arizona. But I'm assuming it's a big yeah. drive. Like it's not nearby. And so he kept driving yeah. over the border to buy more lotto tickets. He's spending fucking thousands of dollars on these things and he kept talking about how he'd buy the ticket and then spend three days in bed because he was so nervous and couldn't look at the results and then when he'd look at the results he realized that he hadn't won he took this as an as another affront an affront by the universe against him and then would start getting angry with the people who did win because they'd taken his money that he deserved. Yeah. Like that that was his his way, one of the ways out of loneliness. The other way out of loneliness was basically to just drive around in his car and because it was a BMW, expect that women would just approach him and be like, You yeah. wanna have sex? Yeah. He even threw through through his drinks on um two women who he, he said he smiled at and they didn't smile back, so he turned his fucking car around and threw his fucking coffee on them. Yeah, um, that's something he started doing. He started throwing, throwing drinks at people. Drink on people. Like this, but yeah. a very specific behaviour, how he would get back at people would be to throw drinks on them. I've got... Yeah. Oh, here's so, a, so Jack, he, he, here's a okay. quote about him chucking drinks at people. Another incident happened on the following day near the same location... I went to the Starbucks at the Camino Real Marketplace by myself, like I usually did every morning. I, I ordered my coffee and sat down on one of their chairs to relax. A few moments later, when I looked up from my drink, I saw a young couple standing in line. The two of them were kissing passionately. The boy looked yeah. like an obnoxious punk. He was tall and wore baggy pants. The girl was a pretty blonde. They looked like they were in the throes of passionate sexual attraction to each other rubbing their bodies together and tongue-kissing in front of everyone. I was absolutely livid with envious hatred. When they left the store, I followed them to their car and splashed my coffee all over them. The boy yelled at me and I quickly ran away in fear. I was panicking as I got into my car and drove off, shaking with rage fueled excitement. I drove all the way to the Vons at the Fairview Plaza and spent three hours in my car trying to contain my tumultuous emotions. 
I had never struck yeah. back at my enemies before, and I felt a small sense of spiteful gratification for doing so. Ugh. I hated them yeah. so much. Even though I splashed them with my coffee, he was still the winner. He was going home to have passionate heavenly sex with his beautiful girlfriend, and I was going home to my lonely room to sleep alone in my lonely bed. I had never felt so miserable and mistreated in my life. I cursed the world for condemning me to such suffering. I wanted to do horrible things to that couple. I wanted to inflict pain on all young couples. It was around that point in my life that I realised I was capable of doing such things. I would happily do such things. I was capable of killing them and I wanted to. I wanted to kill them slowly, to strip the skins off their flesh. They deserve it. The males deserve it for taking the females away from me. And the females deserve it for choosing those males instead of me. Yeah. So sorry for the very that's, long quote, but no, that's fine. a good one because it shows it shows his really childish or sort of simian response to seeing people have something that he doesn't want. It's oh I'm gonna throw yeah. something at them. Simian. Yeah. And then how he goes, They they wronged me. I threw my coffee at them, but they wronged me because they're gonna have sex at some point. And I won't. And so I want to murder them. Yeah, As so this, aside, this actually I mean, highlights I, a pattern in this guy's thinking. Sorry, did you? No, no, go, 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 go ahead. I'll, I'll say what I was going to say yeah. later. Um, so he has this pattern, and that's just an example of it, of interpreting other people just living their life, but in particular the good things in their life, as an insult to him. So it's not merely that oh, this bad thing. Like, there's like victim complex, which, man, being around people with too much of a fucking victim complex is just the worst. <laughs> uh, victim complex, level one, is, oh, these bad things happen. Oh, woe is me. Is you know, it's like, yeah, bad things happen to everybody. Okay, victim complex two, like the level two or level Elliot fucking Rogers, whatever level he's on, over 9,000 probably, or yeah, level 69 yeah. elf. Like, he... He was, oh, other people who don't know me, don't me from don't know me from a, a bar of fucking soap, they're going to go live their fucking lives, have love, sex, whatever, physical intimacy, and that is an insult to me. They are doing the wrong things to me. That per- mm. like those girls are going over to talk to that dude, that's an insult to me. And so he interprets the world as if it is always about him. Yeah, it's a very childish solipsism. Um, so I just also just one other. This is actually kind of fucked up, but I uh, <laughs> I just looked at the distance from Santa Barbara to the nearest Ari- town on the Arizona border, Mohave Valley, I think, uh, by the looks of it. So assuming that he drove around there, if he just got to the first town with a lottery station in Arizona and bought a ticket, it's a five and a half hour fucking drive. Fucking hell. It's 341 <laughs> miles. How many kilometers is that? I don't know. Yeah, what's that in normal? What's that in the rest of the world? <laughs> Speak normal, Americans. Uh, 566. 566 566 kilometers. Fuck. <laughs> like this motherfucker, because he found out... Because apparently the Californian lottery wasn't enough. It wasn't enough for him to win, I don't know, $5 million or something. He wanted to win $100 million, so... Or six hundred million dollars. So, mm. in order to do that, he had to participate in the Powerball, which wasn't in California yet. He had to go to Arizona, so he'd drive all the fucking way over to Arizona from Santa Barbara, fucking five and a half hours, get his ticket, 
fucking drive back and then collapse into bed for three days, have an emotional attack, like breakdown because he couldn't stand to look at the ticket in case he had lost. Mm-hmm. Okay, I, I have two, one or two more personality things that I want to like note. Yeah. Um, and then maybe talk about some of the stuff that you said around uh, culpability if he had some sort of disorder. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the things that we sort of mentioned to before, but I'll just like highlight it, his elitism. So he's yeah. like a race, like he has elements of, and I don't necessarily think that there's anything like cohesive about it other than like whatever attribute that Elliot Rogers has, that's good. That makes him superior. So he's white or he's half white or his grandfather was like some photographer or something. So that makes him superior. But also mm-hmm. he has these constructs around like class or whatever. And uh, so this, this fucking kid is like 20, 19, 20. He, he needs to get a fucking job. His mum's paying for everything and she's like divorced and fucking living in a, you know, like pretty meagre or whatever, probably pretty, you know, pretty lower middle class, presumably lifestyle. And he refuses to get a job, get a fucking job. You know what the sort of jobs that 17, 18, 19 year olds get? We get, you get fucking, you get the cafe job or you get the fucking, you get the, you get, you, you get the, uh, I was a fucking lifeguard, you know, like you get the shit kicker jobs <laughs> because you haven't got any fucking skills. And like, unless you happen to have started coding or something when you're 12 and you actually have like some useful skill, like you start at the bottom because that's your marginal productivity. <laughs> uh, and so mm. he refused to get jobs. There's this one quote I have. He, he, he recounts it a couple of different times, but I just will give this one. Uh, I refused all the jobs that Tony, I think a career counselor, suggested to me. The problem was that most of the jobs that were available to me at the time were jobs I considered to be beneath me. My mother wanted me to get a simple retail job. And the thought of myself doing that was mortifying. It would be completely against my character. I am an intellectual who is destined for greatness. I would never perform a low-class service job. So people who have, most people who have high-status jobs, it took them 20 years to get into that position. And we respect doctors, career doctor, like career surgeon or something, or an established writer or an established podcaster or whatever. Like they've been doing it for fucking years and they're normally Mm. in their 30s, 40s, 50s. where did they start? Everybody started down the bottom <laughs> with very few exceptions. And so because he has this uh, delusional self-grandeur, he would not take anything beneath his what he perceived as his rightful place. Mm. And it just it just doesn't and, make yeah. you any more inclined to like him when he he'll he'll insult people for being poor or conversely tell his mum that she needs to marry someone very wealthy. So that Elliot so that can, can have their money. a good life. Like this kid's not working. His 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 mum and dad are paying for his apartment and stuff in Santa Barbara or whatever, and uh, he's not contributing to it at all. Like he's not he's not he's like dropping out of classes and shit. And anyways, I mean the guy's a fucking mass murderer. He was completely dysfunctional. Like what did we fucking expect? <laughs> 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 like do we think he was going to be a fucking angel or something? Like when we read this, Jesus Christ. 
So yeah, well, I I didn't expect him to be an angel or anything when I read it, but I I didn't quite expect him to be so pathetic. Yeah, I think that's the interesting part of it is that okay, you know, like imagine being a chimp, <laughs> as I often do. <laughs> uh, imagine being a chimp. Now, in a chimp tribe, not that humans are exactly analogous to chimps, but in a chimp tribe, they're uh, highly hierarchical. They're extremely hierarchical, and. I would imagine that it's not nice to be the runt chimp. In fact, mm-hmm. I would imagine that there's a high probability if you're the runt chimp, you're going to die an early death, um, either by being excommunicated from the pack and you're just out there on your own or like by being killed by the other males in the pack. So I could Im- imagine if you took one of those runt chimps and then you gave them kind of like language and sentient enough sentience to like express their um their like anguish about mm. the situation that's essentially what's happened we've got this view of like essentially an animal that has we do have social hierarchy stuff it's it's more complex than humans obviously um but what's it like to be in inside the mind of somebody who is hyper aware of that hyper aware of their own shortcomings and then resentful towards the world for it mm. and then axe it out in the world. Like that's what we got. We got the runt chimp with fucking uh, a Glock 45 and an yeah, SUV. With, with three handguns. With three handguns. I do and think like it, 500 rounds of ammunition. <laughs> a very salient difference though is that so, so assuming your description of him is say the runt chimp is accurate or just taking that as a given... He actually had a lot of people around him really trying to help. Yeah, it's not like the chimp tribe is like trying to help out the fucking like bottom chimp, are they? Yeah, a lot of people spent a lot of time and effort uh, invested trying a lot to in this help kid. this guy. Yeah, heaps, he- heaps of time and effort, and he alienated people all the time. Oh, and the last thing that I think is worth noting about his, uh, unless you've got other things, but the last thing that I want to make note of is his manipulation manipulativeness mm, yeah and very manipulative extremely manipulative and in particular i would say towards his biological mother yeah and basically every time he does something he'll ring up his mother and in, in, this is him recounting he's trying to make you feel sorry for him he's yeah just pathetic um he will say oh i cried on the phone to her yeah, until yeah she got until like he he had a tantrum after losing the lottery you know, it's like 600 million to one and you lost the fucking lottery. Yeah. He did so that have multiple tantrum. times as well. It wasn't and, just once. And it, on one occasion, he smashed his computer and then he had the audacity to ring his mother and cry on the phone saying that, oh, whatever random thing. Like he lied to her and said, you know, it just broke for whatever reason and got $1,500 off her and then went and bought a new laptop. Like, so my impression, this is just the shit that he's reporting on. My impression yeah. is that his his mother... One didn't set boundaries appropriately, and two really like probably bent over backwards for him, and he he like he knew what buttons to push to get what he wanted out of her. Yeah, and it's and this this entire book, if you read it through the lens of okay, this kid's emotionally manipulative towards his own mother, and the one the woman in his life, his stepmother, who wouldn't put up with that shit and tried to put down some boundaries, he demonized. And now he's writing this entire fucking hundred page manifesto trying to make you, the reader, feel sorry for him after he's planned to go and massacre people. 
like it's intense, mm, including intense, one of his brothers, intense manip, including his his baby brother. He yeah. intensely, 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 intensely emotionally manipulative person. Yep, and people pick up on that and don't want to spend time with you because yeah. of it. It's uh, it's not a mystery why he wasn't very successful socially. Yeah, I I can't I've I uh again I mean just talking to you about it out loud, man. I was feeling sorry for him, but now I'm not feeling sorry for him. <laughs> I, yeah, I, I have minimal sympathy for this guy. I think he was a yeah. complete shithead. Man, fucking hell. I, I guess I was wondering what your perspective was on... You sent me a message on Discord about, well, his mother says that he might have had Asperger's or he was... And in fact, he was um, diagnosed... He, was, he says that he was prescribed Risperidone. Now, Risperidone... I have family members who were prescribed risperidone when they were children because they had autism or have autism. Um, and it's also, so it's an antipsychotic. Um, yeah. And it's also prescribed for uh, schizoaffective or sch- schizoid disorders and bipolar. And so, yeah, he clearly had psychiatric issues and the psychiatrists were aware of it. Um, and was that autism or was it, you know, Sometimes autism gets missed, like uh, messed up with like a child childhood schizophrenia. Like they can kind of present similarly. So, um, yeah, whatever severe psychiatric or learning disability cluster. If he had something like that, does that modify his culpability? It's a pretty hard question. So, yes, yeah, fucking hard I, question. I haven't <laughs> met the guy. Having read, having read through this, yeah, he has some some problems. Whether that's autism spectrum disorder or something else, I really don't know. Whatever it the is, thing, just call it X. <laughs> yes. Yeah, the thing <laughs> is, it seems that, and I do think this is an increasing trend, that people try to medicalize bad behavior. Yeah. So, okay, so they'll say, uh, well, someone has X condition and therefore yeah. they're not totally culpable. Yeah. We shouldn't judge them as harshly for bad behavior. The thing is, to an extent, I think it can be a mitigating factor, but it also needs to be considered in the context of, okay, what was this person's social support network and what is the bad behaviour in question? And in the case of this guy, conducting a mass shooting because women won't just have sex with you for no reason beyond, oh, I'm a magnificent gentleman who drives a BMW and has a magnificent fitted shirt and Gucci sunglasses. Yeah. I think yeah. like that is, that is so far from something that, <laughs> that adequately extenuates. No, I agree. What happened? Uh, yeah. Because it's not like, okay, he, um, he had, it's not like, I don't know, he, psychiatric he was, disorder he was and he sharp was... in a social situation or something. It's not like, oh, well, he even, was... even, um, even even some like I got people in my family who have had a uh, like um, serious issues with like ice addiction, um, or, like methamphetamine addiction. Um, I don't know what they call it in other parts of the world. Ice called ice in Australia, um, crystal methamphetamine, and uh, that can also fuck you up pretty bad. <laughs> uh, and uh, you think like okay, so they will come down off the ice and then like go crazy at the family and like assault someone, and it's like okay, I need to modulate this person is coming down off ice and like they're all fucked up 
but also like they keep on taking the fucking ice <laughs> and they keep on coming down and they keep on coming back here and like smashing the house or whatever. So that's like, when do you, with the, with all of these things, it's like that person is doing that. That's pretty bad. Like if you're like abusing your own family or like you're being like, it's like a domestic violence issue. Like, of course that's not a good thing. And then there's like a mass murder. <laughs> like yeah like mass murder and this guy didn't even do like one tenth of what he planned to do of what he outlined at the end of the book like he wanted to go on like a full-blown like two-day killing spree um really sadistic stuff that i don't want to like detail you can fucking read it if you want but he had bad plans and there's a big difference between being unwell, even coming down off like I, or being like uh, reactively violent because you're emotionally agitated and like you lash out and you punch somebody in the face. And then when you fucking sober up, you go, fuck, like, yeah, okay, you fucked up. And then there's premeditative mass murder and intention to commit uh, filicide. Mm. And I. You, how the fuck do you how the fuck do you try to brush that off by saying, oh, well, he had he had whatever psychiatric condition? Yeah, well, I, just, I don't think you can brush it off. I think with a lot of this, people or some people can fail to appreciate the difference between making someone feel bad or say some sort of aversive stimulus and not helping them. And I'm not pretending this is easy. Like, it, there, there aren't any easy No, it's not easy. There's no there easy is no, answers on this one. There is no identikit, oh, this is how you should definitively behave in this situation. That's the correct way to do it. But say with substance abuse or, say, alcoholism, mate, you might spare a person's feelings in the immediate short term if you don't, say, once they've sobered up, take them to account and... yeah point out that say maybe they got violent maybe they smashed things maybe they've been stealing things to yeah pay for their addiction to yeah even people who to do that just sort of absolve them addiction. of any sort of responsibility in the immediate short term might make them feel better or they won't feel as bad but in the long term you're not helping them by saying oh well you've got this problem so you're, no. you, you, in a sense, don't have the agency that I, yeah, as someone without it, that that's, problem, that's have. exactly right. It's, it's yeah. dehumanizing. And in the long term, it's going to hurt them because, yeah, while they're high or while they're drunk, if we're going to stay on this example, they're not going to be thinking straight. But when they sober up, they will be thinking straighter. And that's when they need to learn that there are consequences Take. for bad behavior. Yeah. So yeah. just just saying, oh, this person has some sort of psychiatric problem, so we're not going to judge them for their behaviour. Yes, it can be an extenuating circumstance, but ultimately they have agency too. They're not lesser people than people without these sorts of conditions. And yeah, you're doing and them a disservice if you just let them off the hook for everything. And it is really important sort of to... To distinguish between, uh, and this is why we have different classes of criminal convictions in like uh, countries like Australia. There's there's harsher penalties for premeditated crimes, so like homicide, premeditated homicide versus like uh, reactive, like you just 
got into a fight, killed the guy versus like, no, I sat there for three months and planned out how I was going to kill this person. Like those are the, the intent and all that sort of stuff modified this. And so it's not like, oh, Elliot Roger was, uh, had some sort of psychiatric disorder and then he went out and he just became like so enraged and in the moment he jumped in his car and then just went nuts. You know, that would still be really bad and obviously it would suck um, and that has happened um, by the looks of it. But no, he didn't do it. Like this guy was planning it for like a year. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like he bought- and, he, and he actively denied psychiatric. He stopped seeing psychiatrists. He stopped taking medication and he he bought multiple guns and he planned it for a year or something like that. Sorry, Jack. Yeah. So I, I, I think the question of, oh, was he autistic? Was he not? Because I have seen on some incel forums people saying, oh, well, he was autistic and society doesn't treat autistic men well, therefore it's justified. I think there is something to society doesn't treat, treat Elon Musk pretty well. Autistic people <laughs> particularly well, at least in some situations. But... That's not a justification no, no, for, for premeditated no, no, mass murder. You can't justify a way... Okay, so this brings me to... So, okay, I don't... I, I think it's it's something to take into account. And it's some and it, he definitely has some issues, obviously. You didn't even... Obviously, well, I mean, anybody who commits mass murder has issues, right? So, that's a given. And I, I guess it's part of the explanation... But just because you have an explanation for something, does that remove like moral culpability? No, I don't. I don't think so, um, because at the end of the day, he's, he still had agency. Um, the other, the the next thing that I had an interesting question for you about, which was uh, the relationship between ethics and mental health. So, in my personal experience, with and look, this is this is this is not at all based on like any sort of coherent like understanding of psychology or whatever. But I, when I was depressed, I I amplified my depression by behaving badly, by behaving in a way that, uh, like I would later reflect on, and uh, it was in contravention of like my own standards of like what I thought was ethical behavior in like the way that I treated other people. And that actually made me more depressed and, uh, getting out of my depression when I like, like a few years ago actually required behavioral change, not just with regards to sleeping better and eating better and exercising and seeing a counselor, but also taking moral responsibility for my, for the way I behaved. And that was part of like, my improved mental health <laughs> and mm-hmm. so i've often wondered in these mental health conversations like there's never any discussion around like well what's the relationship between mental health and ethics really it's really hard and it also depends on which which condition someone is yeah, dealing with for psychiatric versus like so say if someone is is floridly manic or, yes. <laughs> or quite psychotic. Then, in the, yeah, in that psychotic. state, they, I think that that is a strongly extenuating circumstance. So, if someone is really manic and cheats on their partner or goes and gambles away a huge amount of money, they well, if a person in that is like state, hallucinating out the fucking brains, and they're like aggressive, yeah, and like they're saying to you like they were friends with Tupac in high school or something. 
there's like yeah, yeah okay, this guy's this person's on another planet <laughs> yeah they're uh, on a mission from jesus or yeah something like that in that state no like they their yeah. decision making capacity is so impaired however okay, where now was alien probably is when they're when they're on the other side of that say if we're going to use the example of mania with bipolar disorder once they're on the other side yeah. of that that's when i think how do they respond the yeah. ethics really come in because when you're when you're not manic anymore that's when someone needs to go see a doctor when they need to start medication when they st- need to start taking steps to if not totally eliminate the chance of another manic episode then at least reduce the possibility of it happening or put in place social checks have friends or family members around them who might if they get into this state might be able to help them or stop them from making yeah. terrible decisions because say so mental illness yeah. is not this thing that happens in a vacuum it it exists within a, the context of someone's life and someone is not going to be impaired all of the time and when they're not impaired or at least when they're thinking sufficiently straight that's when they they do have moral agency that's when they need to take steps to prevent themselves now, or reduce the possibility of themselves getting into a situation where they're they're completely impaired again now in the case of elliot rogers Reg, roger uh again it's not clear to me whether or not like what i was reading i don't know <sighs> maybe maybe he did have something like where does it let up where does yeah. Where is the line? Where is the line there? They've crossed this threshold to like, no, what you've done is like, you haven't just cheated on your wife or like being domestically violent. You've, you've gone and committed a mass murder, like, and you premeditated and you planned it for a year. I, I think it's like, no wonder you're miserable because you, you hate everyone so much that all you can think about all the time is how you want to murder everybody is like, yeah, you're going to be miserable if that's the nexus of your thoughts. <laughs> mm. And this all presupposes that he was suffering from some sort of mental disorder. I think he probably was because he does mention in passing that he'd been seeing psychologists Multiple and psychiatrists for a very long time. They prescribed stuff, yeah. a medication, but he hadn't taken it. In fact, he the sent a link that, right as he was going to commit it. He sent a link to the YouTube video to his psych, psychologist and his parents. Yeah, the thing is, a lot of so sick. A lot of his problems seem to be because he was very toxically narcissistic, and that's not necessarily a mental condition. Because the issue, a problem is, what is mental illness? There are certain things like yeah. Or bring up mania again. It's such a stereotyped behaviour that yeah. you you would say, yeah, that's fairly clearly an illness because people tend to do the same thing. Say when you meet someone who's yeah. manic, you know in a second what's going yeah. on. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But with, say, how Elliot Roger behaved, a lot of his problems come down to the fact that he was an arsehole. Yeah. That's not a medical condition. He was just a cunt. Yeah, he's just a fucking and kind of person. How do you like? I and I don't know. If you, you, you treat of... that. It's I think yeah, there's no just, cure for being a cunt. He had. <laughs> you can have two things at once. You can be mentally ill and a shithead at the same time. And I think yeah. that's his diagnosis. There's, there's lots of uh, uh, nice, lovely people who 
who are neurodivergent in whatever way, whether they're autistic or they have Down syndrome or whatever, and they're like lovely, nice people um, and stuff. And they, um, like in the tech industry, there's uh, there's like a whole thing about like people with like autism or whatever being able to like, you know, um, have, uh, you know, like a work environment where they can be software engineers or whatever. And it's like, so this person has autism, some degree of um, Asperger's or autism spectrum disorder, and they're not out there committing mass murders. <laughs> yeah, well, that's that's why there there is this distinction that needs to be drawn between... It's not as, as clear as I'm making it out to be here, but no, it's not. there is yeah. still a distinction between your personality and... And your mental Say illness. if you're neurodivergent or if you have a mental illness or something like that. Say in your example of making accommodations for autistic people in workplaces. Yeah, like that's fine. You should do that. That's a good thing. And being autistic doesn't mean you're going to be an asshole. Like those, those two things are orthogonal. Yeah. So the, the other... Okay, so my next question to level it up again is... Uh, in your view, and I, I guess this is probably a deeply personal question. So I, my the two religions that I have the most exposure to are uh, Protestant Christianity because I I grew up in that sort of environment um, with a big focus on how good is Jesus, uh, like lovely guy, really good at forgiving people. And then, uh, and then in my adulthood, got really into meditation, and like I've studied like some of the Buddhist scriptures, and they have also a really strong emphasis on um, on forgiveness. And there's even uh, parables in each of them about forgiving people who have committed really heinous crimes. Like for Jesus, it was like forgiving, uh, you know, the the criminals who is crucified next to or whatever, showing compassion to them, and then the uh, in the Buddhist scriptures, there's one about this m- m- like barbarian who would like scout people and then or like chop like kill people and then like wear a piece of their body on a necklace and he had like hundreds of fingers or whatever it was. I think he collected their fingers and he had like hundreds of fingers as a necklace for all the people that he killed. And then when he met the Buddha or whatever, he like looked like whatever, something about like showing compassion to this dude, even though he's really violent. And the sort of moral of the story is like, there's no limit of in your ability to forgive or what, how, we, how far we should be able to extend forgiveness. And when I read things like Elliot Rogers' story, I really struggle with that one. <laughs> it, like, Yeah. I'd preface this by saying I'm not a Christian, I'm not a Buddhist. Yeah, yeah. I should show. You. I should I, say that as well. I'm, I'm not a Christian or a Buddhist, but they're just influential philosophies in the world. Yeah, um, I mean, I, I've grown up in a, I guess you'd call it a Christian society or a society that is largely based on historically Christian ethics, built so, on Christian, Christianity. Yeah, so much of much of my belief system is will be strongly informed by Christianity, whether I believe in God yeah. or not. But with forgiveness, I I think there needs to be at least some sort of justification for forgiveness. So I suppose Elliot Roger failed to kill himself and yeah. was totally unrepentant, was still pumping out. You know, he, he wrote last year, My Twisted World, edition eight or something like that, which was just yeah. regurgitating the same shit. Yeah. He's not, he wouldn't be demonstrating to me that yes. there are grounds for forgiveness 
And I think the worse mm. an act, the more demonstration of contrition yes. I need at least to be able to forgive someone. So yeah. say, say something really minor. Say you're in a conversation and someone else is, is being a bit of a dick. Mm. That's very minor and you'd, it's the sort of thing where there probably wouldn't even be a conscious act of forgiveness. You'd just, you might be annoyed with that person for the rest of that day and then you just kind of forget about it. Yeah. Whereas going out with the, with the express intention of killing strangers mm. and carrying that act out, I would, I would need a lot. Someone would really need to show me that they've changed and that they regret what happened for me to forgive them. Yeah. And he, he extinguished that possibility anyways. In, he planned and did kill himself. In the book, he just says, no, I don't want to spend time in prison. I'm going to do this and off myself because I'm not going to spend time in prison. And so whether it's like the victims themselves or the, the families of the victims, or whether it's kind of a kind of more institutional or socialized sense of like, could society writ large or could the state of California or whatever um, express some sort of forgiveness or conciliation with Elliot Rogers at some point, 20, 30 years in the future? Uh, well, we never get to see that <laughs> and we never get to run that that counterfactual because he, he was just such a, um, he was such a pathetic weasel that he couldn't even deal with the social consequences of what he was going to do. So he offed himself. Yeah. Well, avoiding responsibility seems to have been a fairly common theme throughout his life. And in ending his life, he too avoided responsibility for what he'd just done. Yeah, exactly. I think that's, that summed it up. If you could, um, this, this person was the epitome of, resentment and entitlement and misogyny and hatred and an inability to take responsibility for any of his actions. And worst of all, really boring author. And really, that's, Rod, that's his really, worst sin. A that really is, boring uh, book. That is his greatest sin. <laughs> <laughs> is, is putting me and Jack through the, reading his fucking manuscript. Exactly. Jesus it's his fault. Not ours that we chose this book. It's his fault. It's his fault, this motherfucker. I, um, That's the lesson I I've learned from reading My Twisted World. Yeah. Any last words? There's still plenty of stuff we could discuss with relation to this book. Say, say video game addiction, the culpability of certain online communities like PUA hate. Uh, stuff no, like that. Can we talk it's quickly just... about PUA hate? Yeah, sure. Do you want to go over what it was? Or I didn't look I don't into know it. it. I just assume that it's just a forum that um, these these sorts of people go to. Yeah, is there like PUA hate, like pickup artist hate? From what I understand, it was a web, it was an online forum or collection of forums where people would basically discuss how much, I think, somewhat how much they hated pickup artists, like men who were very successful with women. But I think it was more how much they dislike women because I think PUA hate was taken down and returned as sluthate.com. Ugh, great. Which, yeah, at I least that know, name man. was slightly more open about the actual object of their hatred. I don't think pickup artists were the, the most no. reviled group on those forums. So I think that if you set up a community like we are with the Discord, you have, as I think, platform, platform providers 
have a responsibility for the state of their and look, I know there's like 8chan and 4chan and stuff. They say fucking have at it. I appreciate that. I guess from my personal point of view, like uh as running something, like I, I don't I don't know. I would uh, fucking dude, I don't know, man. <laughs> what what's you what's your perspectives? <laughs> it's a really, really hard question. I do think it's it's ultimately up to the the owner or the person who founded or runs a community, what kind of community they want. Legally, yes. I think these things should be legal. Yeah. I think that Yeah, I guess there's should, a difference between you what should I have personally the right to say these things. And, and unless what should or should not be legal. Yeah, I think say something like inciting violence, I think should be illegal. So, and that would be defined fairly narrowly. Like if you were to say, okay, we say these people with these weapons should show up at this time at this person's house yeah, with the intention of harming this of person. Organizing yeah, violence in that way, I think, should be illegal. But it should be illegal, online, but also the platform providers should should be held responsible responsible for if people are using uh if i guess it depends on the fucking platform then though doesn't it because you could use encrypted messaging to do that and then it's like does telegram get held accountable for it's like i don't know maybe yeah not, i don't maybe. know how accountable actually it should be because yeah. my my issue with that is every, everyone quite likes that form of authoritarianism assuming yeah. that their speech will be unregulated speech that oh of course i'm reasonable yeah. so i won't be impacted by it so would yeah. i like to live in a world where sluthate.com doesn't, doesn't exist or never existed yes that'd be really good my issue is it when, when it comes to banning yeah. things that you no, can say it gets you you actually get a lot of that's a that's a bad unintended side effects really quickly so as distasteful oh, it as, would be it, nice as it to is, live, yeah. I think they should be able to exist. But at the same time, other people should be allowed to express disgust at them. And suppose yeah. Yeah. a, say, a private company who is, I don't know, providing a service on which people are having these sorts of conversations, if they want to ban those people, fine. Yeah. Like it's their company. They can do what they want. Yeah. And if these people, say, want to self-fund their own platform where they can say all sorts of vile shit, yeah. then so long as they're, not, as they're not taking concrete steps to plan violent acts or something, or, say, breaking the law in other ways by, say, sharing child pornography, whatever, then, like, I think it's gross. But, yeah, I think they yeah. should be allowed to. Yeah, and I think that's the thing with uh, I. So I, so I agree with you, and it's just my fucking reaction to having read goddamn Elliot Roger. <laughs> is that like, yeah, I, I think uh, we don't want to live in a society, whether it's a particular nation or it's a global society, where governments, because inevitably it's going to be some institution, it's going to be a government, or like yeah, a or, state, or a multinational corporation, or a multinational, which corporation, is even less accountable. Um, or, or like some confederation of nation states or whatever, like uh, is it's going to be some group with their interests like imposing what they think is allowable speech. And that is not a good, even if you happen to agree with it at the time, it's not a good precedent. You don't want to live in a society where, where that's happening. Um, and I'm glad that for the most part, I guess what we get, we get a free society where we have extreme openness with freedom of speech and one of the costs that we pay 
to have that is that we have these fucking cesspools. Yeah. And and uh and I think it's it sucks, but I would rather live in this society where that happens than like to live probably in a society where there's some sort of authoritarian rule on like okay, well you've you've got to get permission off the government or whatever to put up be putting up what sorts of websites within whatever boundaries of like you know, as Jack mentioned, like other forms of like contraband content, whatever. Yeah, and oh, this might be a slightly more controversial take, but I think there actually is value to anonymous online spaces yeah. because people need a place to be bad people. We're not good people all the time. And, and to be able to I tell think jokes, to be there's actually, I think there really is a social utility to having a place where people can vent, say something in anger that maybe the other 99% of their lives they don't agree with, but in that moment they're furious and just need to yeah. just scream something into the abyss yeah. to feel better. And I do think online message boards, so 4chan seems a lot tamer than it was. 8kun is, has, to an extent, taken up the mantle. Those places, I think, are pretty gross, but I think they actually do serve an important yeah. social function of a place where people can blow off steam and yeah. be have, have the option of being bad people in a controlled environment that isn't going to bleed into the rest of their lives. Yeah, I agree. I, I think the other, the other interesting thing about it, though, is that I guess now that we've, we've spoken about this, uh, probably a swing like a madman between these perspectives, but I think I fall in the, like, the, the liberal, like the classical liberal, not, not as in like the American liberal, um, like classical liberal side of it, erring towards freedom of speech. And I guess what that highlights to me is that if there's a type of speech that you find unsavory or whatever and you think well should it or should it not exist or whatever if you want to centralize the sense that sort of what is the ethics of speech you you've kind of we've got like kind of two ends of a spectrum either it's the responsibility of the individual to regulate themselves and to figure the ethics out themselves or it goes into some sort of institution and the institution has the authority to enforcer ethics on the society and um if we want to live in a free society then that means the responsibility is is on you mm. we live in something of a mixed system where yeah yeah there's more course. there's more individual responsibility than in many societies but you still have limitations yes yeah what a f- what a f- what a head fuck of a book dude <laughs> I, I I need I need breaks I between this books book. like this. I need because the vitriol and the hatred and stuff is just so like is so. I felt so horrible reading this book. I need to take a break before reading another hectic book like this. Hey, yeah, it's pretty draining. We we should have a few books that are not so hectic. Yeah, yeah. It's just it's like inhabiting the subjectivity of a a really horrible person for 140 A4 pages. Yeah, no. Would I recommend it? Person. No. As a as a whole work, no, because it's actually it's really boring. The vast majority of it is him just describing social situations where he sees salience that are much less salient to everyone else. Yeah. If you're morbidly interested and say I'm I'm morbidly interested in these sorts of things, part of the motivation behind this podcast, if you're really morbidly interested in reading something fucked up by Elliot Roger 
Then I look at the last five pages or something. That's he says vile stuff yeah. there, and you get to skip over him recounting his his twenty two years of life details. Yeah, yeah but no, do yourself a favor. Don't don't fucking read it. If you um, want to read something fucked up, there are actually more interesting fucked up things more, to go read. Go and read um the my twisted uh, world. <laughs> go and go and read fucking um Kaczynski's stuff or something. Like at least he's interesting. Um, no, I, I mean, obviously everybody can do whatever they want You can go and find it yourself if you want, but I, unless you just, you're just really weirdly morbidly curious about these things. Like, you know, there's people who like true crime and stuff and they like reading all this sort of stuff, like fine, go have at it. It's your thing. But outside of people who like actively like that stuff, I, I, I would just say this book, this book quote unquote this manifesto will not make will not add anything to your life. <laughs> yeah. Well I think calling it a manifesto is a bit is probably giving it a bit more credit than it deserves because largely it's largely it's a very, very boring autobiography with an attached justification for why he wants to kill people. Like there are there are some bits that are very darkly humorous. Like the bit where he finds out near the end of his life that his sister has a boyfriend, and then Ugh. he listens to them. He listens have to his own through his own sister getting fucked. What what a fucking creep! Yeah, he's like he's talking about how Samuel, her half Mexican boyfriend, he can hear him plunging his penis into his sister's vagina. It's like yeah, and he mate. Sat, he sat outside the window. Listening. <laughs> Come on. <laughs> So that, like I couldn't. I actually was reading it at times, and I was like, "Is this even real? Is this like even a, fucking? Is this actually somebody's fucking life?" Yeah. Like this, you, like, you got to be fucking kidding me. There, so that there are the odd bits like that. There'll be say a paragraph where you're like, "Okay, this is in a very dark way, somewhat amusing," but it's so outweighed by the sheer boredom, which is the biggest problem, and then the the justification or the pathetic justifications for going on a, a murderous rampage because you haven't been able to get your rocks off. It was a, it's, a, it's a pretty shit book. What he should have done is he should have published this manifesto, gotten a degree of internet notoriety, become like a Z-list internet celebrity, and then find some weirdo woman who'll have sex with you on the basis of that. Because, you know, like people sent Ted Bundy Love letters in prison. There'll be some really fucked up woman yeah. who'd sleep with the author of My Twisted World. I reckon that should have been his play, but he was too much of a dumbass to see it. He was he was seriously fucking dumb. Um, <laughs> <laughs> motherfucker thought. Any the any last words on My win, Twisted win the World? Fucking, this this guy thought he was a genius, and he fucking read the secret and tried to visualize himself winning the fucking Powerball, like five hundred million <laughs> to one odds. You're gonna visualize fucking a hundred million bucks into your back pocket, mate. Get the fuck off it. You don't. Yeah, this guy's dumb. Dumb as a doorknob. Um. So no, I don't. I mean, I don't have any. What What are my final words? Fuck this guy. Um, <laughs> fuck this guy. Blurb. Fuck. Fuck the incels. Fuck incels. Um, fuck anybody who like uh, thinks that this guy is somehow a hero or that any of his perspectives are like worthwhile or actually representative. If you if you feel like 
this guy is speaking truth to power about the world, you need to take a long, hard fucking look in the mirror at yourself. Maybe, maybe you're the problem. <laughs> yeah, I'd say fuck this guy. I wouldn't say fuck incels because I think the vast, like the the majority of incels are just lonely okay. young guys. I'm happy to modify are- my my statement to say fuck incels that are on board with Elliot Rogers. Yeah, if you're the sort of person who looks at Elliot Roger and says, "Yeah, that guy's that guy is if a role model of mine," I think, yeah, you're you're a shithead. But for the vast majority of incels, it's just like they're they're just kind of Socially awkward guys, awkward young dudes, many of whom share a bunch of my interests, like video games or or death metal or something like that. Like I, I know plenty of awkward guys who have trouble getting laid and. Well, they're, they're, yeah. they're fine. It's like there's just one area of their life they're not happy with, but they're fine. Sure. Or fucking own your celibacy. Like, fucking get on it, man. There's like, there's monks. Go become a monk. If you're celibate, Fuck if you yeah. can't get laid, <laughs> mate, you know, there's Zen monks who like go out of their way to not get laid, right? You're way ahead of them. <laughs> you've, got, you've got a home ground advantage. You've got an advantage. Girls don't even want to fuck you. You, you can, like, you're already half a monk. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Go no. Just start watching your breath and learn how to levitate. <laughs> yeah, but I, I I don't have any sympathy for Elliot Rogers. I have a lot of sympathy for his family. I feel sorry for having to live with that horrible fucking person for twenty years. Um, I feel sorry for the victims. I feel sorry for the fucking communities that he was that he inflicted himself on. And I feel sorry for for me for having read his book. <laughs> woe is me the world made me read elliot rogers manifesto (laughs) no i'm just a little i I suggested this book i was the one Uh, jack made me do it jack made me do it (laughs) anyway yeah uh i don't recommend it mostly because it's boring i guess that sums up (laughs) that's what i've got to say yeah, next time we talk about a book that isn't this fucking cooked, I think we're going to do some Harry Potter fandom. So, yeah, was it called? It's like My Immortal or something. Oh, it's also that's um, that's also my fault. Levi tragic. picked the last few books, tragic. and so tragic. <laughs> I've, picked, tragic. I've picked the manifesto of the incel killer, and then the world's most fucking bizarre Harry Potter fan fiction. <laughs> I'm hoping that the fanfic is actually like funny and entertaining. All right, oh, it's it's. I've read a bit of it. It is absolutely, it's so bizarre. All right, great. All right, well, I've got to head off, so I'm going to go and have dinner and stuff. (laughs) See ya. Um, Thanks for listening.